Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. We do have a special treat um, uh, today. So we've been in um, a sermon series um, here this, this uh, the past few weeks, and it's really about... God, what is it that you want us to do? What, what do you have for us? It's about, and we've titled it, God's Heart, Our City. Uh, one of the first weeks we, we talked about um, how, can we, how can we bless our city and God, what it is that you want to do through us, you know, to our community and, and with our community. And first thing is, is we wanna be able to support other churches and, and other pastors because we gotta have gospel-centered stuff happening everywhere, right? We can't, we can't do everything, right? And, we, and, and, it's, and it's our hope that there are, are churches and we want to see churches flourishing and doing God's work elsewhere. Because we know God is working in other churches, not, not just here, right? Hopefully we know that, right? Amen. Another thing is, is we want to be able to provide biblical counseling on a larger scale. I think um, our hope is to be able to provide free biblical counseling to anybody in the city who wants it. Right now, I think our church, we have, what, 27, 28 biblical counselors and we are out six months. And so the hope is, is, is we want to push towards having biblical counseling available to anyone. So we've talked about that. And the third thing is, is we want to make uh, addiction victory available to anyone in the city. And do you realize that there's a growing problem here in Salem? There is a growing problem, right? And we want to come alongside other ministries that are doing that. But then also as a church, we want to make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do. And, and Russ Lee is going to come and talk with us uh, this morning about that. And, and really, it, it, is, it is something that we've been called to as a church. It's part of the gospel. But then also, I believe it's part of the Great Commission that we are to take care of those along the highways and the byways that are hurting. And so Russ is gonna talk. I'm gonna invite you up, Russ. Russ, can you guys give him a hand as he comes? Yeah. Russ is a friend of the ministry at this point. He came here this past fall and he, um, and he had, uh, and he was, one of our, he was one of our worship leaders here this past fall as we kind of kicked off our, as we kicked off our ministry year. And so he's just here a few months ago, but we asked him to come back and speak to us because his background is a little bit in this. He has a, a unique perspective to share. Thanks, let's welcome him again. Thank you so much. Hey, what an honor to be back. It's, uh, it's uh, such a blessing to be here with you guys. I told the pastor, I said, he said, how, how have things been? I said, well, it's amazing. I've never been so served by a group of people. I said, they're so sweet. Everyone is so accommodating. He said, you should challenge them on that. So I went up to someone at the door and said, hey, could you do me a favor? I'm a guest. Could you get me a camel milk latte with, with uh, only Gorokin beans? I can only do, I'm allergic to everything else. Uh, something from Papua New Guinea, extra hot. And could you have him do my picture in the foam? I didn't really do that. I was just, I'm just kidding. But I, I think I would have gotten it. Some of you are out there going, I know where you can get camel milk. I know how you people are. Hey, uh, but it's such a blessing for us to be here, for my wife and I to be here. I'm excited to be a part of this series because I am literally the, the recipient of a church that refused to stay inside the walls. It literally, they, someone came to my house and shared the message of the gospel. So here's what we're going to try to do today. So I gave you an outline, but I'm not sticking to it. I never do. Here's the thing. 
I gave you those notes because I want you to read over those notes, okay? So you'll see the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. I want you to really read that and absorb it. We're going to talk a little bit about it, but that's your homework. I'm sending that home with you, okay? And uh, I, I want you to read that. And then, and then I, also, I also gave you a couple of other verses. I gave you some verses from Acts chapter 4 because I love the story of Acts chapter 4. We always hear about the day of Pentecost and how the Spirit was poured out and Peter got brave instead of, uh, instead of afraid and he shared the gospel and 3,000 were saved, you know. We hear those stories, but what happened just right after that is extraordinary and it's amazing and it's so telling about the heart of the church and what the church is supposed to be. So those two things really, that, that's the, that should be the church's story. We should take our cues from the early church. Now, my son teaches at a seminary, so he's hooty tooty smart. He's like a real smart, right? He tells you what things mean in Latin. I'm like, it's French fries. I don't care what it means in Latin. But he tells you, th- and he said, dad, there's this huge movement among seminarians uh, called theological retrieval. That sounds, you know, like lost and found, right? He said, there's this movement called theological retrieval. And what's happening is a lot of young guys my age, they're going back to see what the early church did and how they believed and how they behaved because we kind of feel like the church is sort of in some ways gotten off track. He said, what, what changed between the early church and now is that church and Christianity and our faith and the following of Jesus was an all-consuming thing that literally you realized how your life had changed and it was such a paradigm shift that you could no longer act like you used to. You just couldn't act like you didn't know Jesus. You just couldn't do it because your life was so transformed. And he said, Christians were crucified for their testimony and for the work of the ministry. And he said, and now, you know, we, we try to make church so comfortable. We, give, we tell people, God only requires an hour from you this week. And we're going to provide child care, coffee, and donuts. So if there's any way you could squeeze us into your schedule. He said, that's really not how it's supposed to be. And he said, as Christians, we should long, we should be thirsty for the word of God. We should long for his presence. We should enjoy his presence. We shouldn't, he said, we shouldn't sit in church and say, worship is too long. This is too long. I don't have this much time. We're going to have to get in line behind the Methodists now at the restaurants because the pastor's going to. He said, that should not be our heart when we're sitting in church, right? And he's kind of right about that, you know. Uh, an old friend of mine used to say, the Baptists are so sure of what God's going to do on Sunday that they meet about it on Tuesday. And they print it on Thursday. And they hand it out at the door on Sunday. And that's what God is allowed to do. And he said, and if God tries to do anything else, there will be a committee meeting. There will be a, he will have to answer to somebody about what's happened because it's not on the schedule, right? That's kind of true. You know, we, we've kind of... Um, We've kind of turned this thing into, it's either extremely rigid or it's so casual that it requires nothing, right? That's kind of what faith has become. You know, it's uh, some, some guys that, that are mean call it easy believism, right? They're just like, no, it's just, it's not that easy to follow Christ. You've got to stop having fun. It's just not, and other people are like, no, I can do anything I want to and it's okay because of grace. So somehow we have to find our place in the middle. And the Bible says that those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So as long as God's directing our steps, we should be okay in how we behave, right? But we've got to make sure that we're listening. He's speaking, but we've got to make sure that we're listening, right? He's not posting on Instagram and Facebook. So you're going to have to put that down, 
right? I used to tell people all the time, I, I, tell, I still tell them I'm at Winter Jam, you know, and I'm up there sharing my heart and people in the audience. I tell them when I walk up, I said, look, here's all I'm asking you to do. I want you to listen to me with your eyes and put your phone down and just listen to me with your eyes. And by the way, if you don't put your phone down, I can tell you're looking at your phone because your face is glowing and you're not that holy. I can, I can tell your face is glowing and it's not like the Moses glow, it's the Instagram glow. So I need you to, to put your phone down, right? And now it's so funny because like, if I, I would love to be a teenager nowadays because the pastor's like, if you have your Bibles or your phones, I'm like, this is so cool. I can play a video game while, you know, because I was, you know, as wild as, as they say where I'm from, as wild as a buck when I was a teenager. So I'm like, well, this is cool. I can scroll pictures and see what my friends are doing. So if I was a teenager nowadays, the way that I was back in the day, but I love it when people actually use technology to engage truth. That's that's fantastic because we're all influenced by someone. All of us are influenced by someone. And it wouldn't it be interesting if we used our influence the way that some of these online influencers use their influence. Because now if you scroll a few times, someone will say, I can tell you how you can make $10,000 a month and never have to work. You're just, you're just on your phone. So, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting thing because it's, it does not dismiss our responsibility as adults and as followers of Christ, to do what's required of us. You know, someone said that Martin Luther was so frustrated by the book of James that he took it out of his Bible and threw it out in the yard. He was so mad about it because he's, his passion was that, we, we, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. Martin Luther, you know, he fought for that and would have died for it if he had had to, right? And then all of a sudden, here's the book of James. Telling us that faith without works is dead. You know, when we know Christ and we follow Christ, it requires something. Something should change. If anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? Uh, we, we, our, our behavior changes when we become a follower of Christ. And I think it becomes really confusing to the world if they look at us and see no difference. If they look at us and we just look like them, the, the, then... then we, we lose our opportunity of influence. So here's what I want to do. I want to just take you, I'm going to move as fast as I can. I'm from the South. It's kind of unnatural for me to talk fast. I'm going to try to talk fast and separate my words. So AJ, you may have to come and interpret after I'm finished. You may have to come up here and tell him what I was trying to say, if you don't mind. I've spent some time with him. Kelly also, he knows. Kelly can help us with all of this. Um, but um, I, I want to read this for you. If, you. if you have your Bible with you, and I, we've got the verses on the, on the screen, uh, but I want you to look at Psalm chapter 34 because this is really my testimony. Like, I, for some reason, I identify so much with this verse. Let me give you a little context. So David is running for his life, and he finds himself in front of Abimelech, and he's in, the, and he's in Gath, and is, which is a city, and Abimelech is a person. David's afraid of these people, right? So he decides, he's like, look, I'm in rebellion against... Uh, against uh, the authority. So if I act crazy, remember this story? Some of you would remember it. Some of you don't. Let me help you. King David, that everyone celebrates, decided one day that it would be better for him to act like he was insane than to just defend himself. So here's what he did. Uh, he, he, sh he starts, the Bible even is very explicit. It says that he was drooling on his beard, like he had spit. He's walking around mumbling to himself with spit on his beard, right? And uh, I don't know what that looked like, but it had to be disgusting, right? He's just trying to look crazy. Like he's, he must have been great at acting because they said, get him away from me. He, so God rescued him just through some absurdity, right? He's just acting like a nut. He's not doing anything spiritual. He's not like 
you know, he, he just, he wasn't using Goliath's sword to, he, 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 all he did was just act crazy. And people were terrified. And, 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 and you know what the, 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 the king said? Don't I have enough crazy people around me? Get him out of here. Like, don't I have enough? I think it's humorous, right? So David reflects on that later. And he writes Psalm 34. He's thinking about and he's reflecting on and he's testifying to what God did for him when he acted crazy. And he never took the credit for what happened and who would. I acted like a nut. And he's like, no, listen, it worked, right? That had to be God, right? It worked. I, have, I hadn't lost my mind. I just lost, uh, I lost any sense of, of safety. So I just acted like a crazy person and they let me go. Now, this will be important in just a little bit. Listen, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10. That's what we're going to go over real quick. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord and the humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay, so David praises and he invites others to praise. Psalm 4 is his testimony, okay? Uh, He relates his experience in Psalm 4 through 7. He says this, I sought the Lord and he rescued me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed or covered with shame. This poor man cried. This is my testimony. Psalm 34 verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And then, listen, verse 8 through 10, uh, he's exhorting us to stay strong in the faith. Remember what God has done for you and let that be your motivation. That's really what he's saying to us. Listen, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. He's inviting you to experience the joy of his testimony for yourself, right? How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. And I love verse 10. It says this, young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Isn't that interesting? That Whatever you need, God will provide if you fear the Lord. Just fear the Lord and uh, trust the Lord. Believe. That word fear just means to reverence God and to recognize him for who he is, right? So he's saying um, lions, even young lions. And everyone was afraid of lions, right? Lions are terrifying. They eat when they want to, right? He said even the young lions have seasons where they're hungry. Even the, even, even the, 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 the fiercest of all of God's creation, right? They even, he, he's making a point here. Even young lions, they're fast and they're strong, but even they hunger from time to time. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. He, he quenches that thirst. He, he satisfies that hunger. He's, he's testifying really to the person and work of Jesus before Jesus is born. Let me tell you why this verse explodes to me. I was a 17-year-old kid, no Pone Valley, Tennessee. You've never been there. I tell people I'm from so far out in the country, we had to drive toward town to hunt. That's how far out in the country I was. We never, ever saw anyone with a white short sleeve shirt and a name tag on a bicycle and a, with a tie on. We never saw that. Not ever. Not ever. They would have had to be life flighted out of Nopone Valley. We would have shot them. We wouldn't have known. We didn't know. I remember when they paved our road. Everyone on our road was suspicious. They were very suspicious. Sounds like rural Washington, kind of, doesn't it? It's like, yeah. So I'm from Nopone Valley. You don't get there. You don't go through Nopone Valley to get to anywhere, Right. I was raised in the country. I, my, my mother struggled with mental illness. I found out after she died that she had even struggled 
severely when she was a teenager. But it, but it, it, uh, it became more pronounced as she got older. I remember, uh, some of you have early memories like I do, just a shadow memory. I remember 18 months old being taken to my grandmother's house and, and being dropped off because my mother couldn't take care of me. When my mom was with it, she was like the Caucasian Aunt Jemima. She, would, she was not just a great cook. She would give you her last dollar. She, her, her superpower was hugging. She was amazing. When my mom was with it, she was the best mom in the world. But sometimes she didn't know who she was or where she was. She didn't know she had kids, right? So I'm the oldest of four kids. Here, here I am. My mother, we have four kids. I'm the oldest. My mother is struggling in and out of mental institutions, in and out of, of reality, and us kids lived in fear because when I got off the bus every day, I got off the bus and the bus did run to No Palm Valley. I left the school at 2.30 and I got home at 5 p.m. That's how long I stayed on the school bus. And they didn't serve any snacks. It was just I was stuck there, right? But I remember we used to get off the bus and we didn't know if we were going to have electricity. We didn't know if we were going to have water. We didn't know if we were going to have food. We didn't know if we were going to have heat. We didn't have air conditioning. No one did back in those days, even in the South. But we also didn't know if our mom was going to recognize us when we walked into the house. Now, imagine growing up like that. Four of us kids, I was the oldest, so I tried to be responsible, but I was an irresponsible kid, you know. And I used to think that if I had money, I would be happy. I always thought what's missing from our life is money because we never had the money to do anything, right? So here I am, the oldest of four kids, and dealing with this and trying to... Trying to do what I can, but there wasn't much I could do. I started working for a neighbor. He had a little business at his house. I started working for him when I was 13 years old, and he would pay me cash uh, every day. So sometimes I would get off the school bus at his place, and I would work till midnight. And by the way, when you're, when, when you're, you're, you don't have any accountability, my dad was in the picture, but not really in the picture. He was not overseeing us as much as my mother. Uh, you can walk in the house at midnight when no one cares that you, when you get there, Right. So sometimes, so I'd get off the school bus there at his place, and I would help him work. We built pallets. He built pallets, you know, shipping skids. You know what I'm talking about? And so, uh, so I finally had money in my pocket, but it didn't make me happy. It didn't satisfy any hunger inside of me, and I was so disappointed at that. 13 years old, I'm hanging out with older people, teenagers and adults, some of them who were irresponsible and had addictions and had problems. And so I became a product of my environment. So as a 13-year-old kid, I started using drugs. I started drinking and hanging out with older people who did. Here's another thing that happened when I was 13 years old. I remember the Saturday that my father walked into our house with alcohol for the first time. My mother got so upset. We, my, my mother did not. My mother had a grandfather who was an alcoholic. My dad had been an alcoholic in the Navy. And my mother did not want alcohol in our home. When we started having kids, my mom said, just one rule, just no alcohol in the house, please. No alcohol in the house. My, my dad was trying to uh, survive a wife who didn't recognize him half the time and who would yell at him for breaking into her house when he came home from work. And four kids, right? That were, and we were rowdy. We were a rowdy bunch, all four of us. And so you can imagine. But my dad started trying to cope with it with alcohol. So he, I remember the Saturday that my dad had worked a third shift at a paper mill and he came home with alcohol. And he brought it to the house and just marched in there and stuck it in the fridge. And my mom said, what are you doing? He said, look, I'm the king of this castle, and if I want to drink a cold beer after work, it's my business. And my mom said, this is just too scary. It's too hard. It's confusing. For your, you're going to confuse your kids. You're going to... 
And, and, and by the way, I, I had cousins and an uncle who were an alcoholic, so we were around alcoholism, and they were, they, they were, it was not funny or pleasant. It was, you know, staggering and falling out of cars, and you know, it was, it was crazy. So, so my dad said, look, if I want to drink a beer, I'm the king of this castle. And my mother didn't know what to say to him, but she was terrified. And guess what? What was his escape became our prison. I tell people we were the original cast of Survivor, except we all wanted to be voted off the island. But nobody would vote us off. We were stuck. So what, what was his right and privilege as the king of the castle, listen, became full-blown alcoholism. Uh, it didn't take long until my dad just, and what little money we had for groceries and things, he was buying rounds for his friends at Lisa's place. And, you know, it, it became like this, we thought it couldn't get worse. It, it did. It really did. And so by this time, look, I'm 15 years old. And I'm not only uh, involved in the party culture and, you know, doing everything a 15-year-old does. But one day I'm working at McDonald's. We, we had gotten a McDonald's in our town that was close to where I lived, the closest town to me. There was a McDonald's and I got a job there uh, because I was trying to make money. I got a job at McDonald's and a buddy of mine showed up while I was out there servicing the parking lot. And he said, hey, man, you got a second? And I said, yeah. He said, I, he said how would you like to make more money? In 30 minutes, then you make in a month at, Walt, at uh, McDonald's. And I said, well, how, how could I do that? He said, all you have to do is, de- is deliver packages. That's all you have to do. I said, deliver packages. He goes, yeah. You go here, you pick this package up. They'll give you an address and tell you where to go take it. You take that there, they're going to give you some money. You keep $300 of it and bring the rest of the money back to them and you're done. And so I started delivering drugs. And all of a sudden, I had more money than I ever dreamed possible. Right? But I still worked at McDonald's. Because I didn't want my parents to see me spending money and wonder where I got it. So I was just kind of working at McDonald's, but not really, you know. I started delivering drugs. And by the time I was 17, listen, I had the car that I wanted. 68 Camaro Super Sport with a 396 Boss, a Hurst Shift Kit, positive traction rear end. I had the fastest car in the county. I did. Sorry for those of you that loves cars like me. It was orange with white stripes because I'm from Tennessee. Don't judge black and white checkerboard interior. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And she was a bad little mama. She could go. She could go, right? I had the car I wanted. I had the musical equipment I wanted. I had the girlfriend that I wanted. I was doing anything that I wanted to do. And I was the most miserable I had ever been, right? So, and so when I was 17, I went from being a, 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 a delivery boy to being a drug dealer. I wasn't a drug addict. I created drug addicts. I'm, I'm the oldest of four kids, and so as the, some of you, how many of you are the oldest of, of siblings? Yeah, you know, you're the responsible one, right? You are the responsible one, for the most part. If you're not, you know who you are, <laughs> right? But, but here, here's the thing. I, so I, I went from being uh, a, um, a delivery boy to being a drug dealer. Not, nothing harsh, not like, it, not like, you know, on Narcos or something. Like I, not like that. I, I'm just talking about just low-key. My uncle was a deputy sheriff, so I couldn't get crazy, right? In a little small town in Bradley County, I couldn't get crazy. But here's the deal. I, I, I kind of had a nice little business going. I started playing guitar in a bar band for drinks at a little place called the Rocky Top Lounge. And it's just what you think it would be. And I had all the money I wanted. I had the girlfriend I wanted, the car I wanted. I had what I thought would make me happy, and it did not. And one night I was driving home from the Rocky Top Lounge really late, and I was listening to the great theologian Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) It's a preacher, you didn't know that. I can't get no satisfaction on my brand new high-fidelity eight-track stereo. 
He was saying, I can't get no satisfaction. Though I try and I try and I try and I try. Hey, 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 hear me what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. And all of a sudden I realized that's what I was looking for. The whole time I was just looking to be, I just wanted to go to bed at night and feel okay. I just wanted to wake up the next morning and look forward to the day and not worry about what was going to greet me. I didn't want to be woken up in the middle of the night with my parents fighting downstairs or, and, and, and siblings screaming. I just didn't want to be woke up, woken up in the middle of the night with my dad saying, your mom is gone again. We don't know where she is. I, I, just, I just wanted to just like normal, whatever that was, right? Just for a minute. I just wanted that. And so that... Mick Jagger singing, I can't get no satisfaction. I turned my stereo off and I did something I'd never seriously done in my entire life. I prayed a prayer to the unknown God. I was not looking for Billy Graham's Jesus. I sold drugs to people that went to church. I used to think, man, if what they got so good, why do they need what I got on Friday and Saturday? Because everybody went to church in the South. They'd come to church and act, they'd go to church and act okay. I thought the only difference between them and me is I get to sleep in on Sundays. They have to get up and go to church. So when I prayed, I I just was hoping there was someone who would answer. So here's my prayer. I said, God, I don't know who you are, and I don't know how to find you, but if you exist, then you know how to find me. If you're really up there, then maybe you could find me. If you care, this is my prayer. God, if you care that I'm alive at all, if my existence means anything beyond just breathing and my heartbeat, God, would you show me? Would you show me what's missing? Because I can't find it. I couldn't find God, so I thought maybe he could find me. That was Thursday night. I cried myself to sleep. Didn't sleep much. Went out Friday. I acted worse Friday than I did on Thursday. I woke up Saturday morning about 5 o'clock, passed out in my car in my driveway, and I stumbled into the house, and I laid down on the floor in front of our air conditioner, which was a box fan that we bought at Western Auto. So I laid down in front of it because I was hot and miserable and and hung over. And I was laying down on the floor, asleep on my face on the carpet. And the next thing I know, I hear a knock. When you're from Nopon Valley, no one knocks on your door. When you live as far as I did, no one ever comes to your house. When your dad is an alcoholic and everyone knows it and your mom is mentally ill, people don't come over. They just don't come over. Kids don't spend the night. At your house, right? So imagine how shocked I was to hear a knock on the door. I thought it was the police. Honestly, to, to be honest, my first thought was, thank God this, this is over. I can finally just, whatever the next thing is in my life, I've been caught. Finally, this is over. So I got up and I walked to the front door, but it wasn't the police. Standing there outside my house, at, at, right at, like this, kind of right here, standing right there through the screen door, it's a buddy of mine I grew up with. I had nothing. He had everything. His family was perfect. He was dating the state senator's daughter. When we were little kids, we hung out together. He went to Six Flags over everywhere. <laughs> I went nowhere. He had the nicest car in my high school. He was also a drummer, and chicks dig drummers. He was a drummer. And he was voted most likely to stay best looking the rest of his life. And I saw him recently. He's holding the title. He's doing good. <laughs> So here this guy is, look, he shows up at my house uninvited. I tried to get him to come to my house before because he was my best friend in grade school, but his parents were paying attention. He was not allowed to come to my house. So imagine how shocked I was after my whole life. Here he is standing on my doorstep. I couldn't believe it. And when I was living over on the dark side, my spiritual gift was cussing. I was fantastic at it. Some people are not good at it. I was just natural. And so when I saw him, I just wanted to impress him. 
So I just started like, you know, hurling some expletives around. Hey, you know what I mean? Like I just act like a nut. And I noticed his eyeballs got like this big and he leaned forward and he goes, hey, 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 hey. I want to introduce you to somebody real quick. He said, Russ, this is Gary Miller. He's the minister of youth and music at Hopewell Baptist Church. Then I got mad at this dude. I'd waited my whole life for him to come to my house, and then I, he had brought the preacher to my house. It was the worst thing that could happen, right? And I said, oh, well, it's nice to meet you. The other thing that, was, that bothered me was this. Here's, here's the other part of this that was bothersome. Gary Miller was sitting on the hood of my car with his arms crossed. Yeah, I'm like, no, no, no. No bueno. You know what I mean? Like, uh-uh. Anyway, he stood up and shook my hand. He stood up and shook my hand. He was the nice. I tell people he was like a runner-up in a Donny Osmond look-alike contest. Just so you can get the picture in your mind. He's like third, third place runner-up, okay? So anyway, he's standing there and he starts talking to me. And he starts uh, inviting me to church and telling me about what their youth is doing. And telling me about, he's just, you know, doing this. And he goes, but David wanted to tell you something. Here's what David Vassy said. He stepped up. He was nervous. He said, Russ, he said, you're going to think I'm nuts. But I have to tell you what happened to me Thursday night. Now, don't forget, two nights before, I had prayed that desperate prayer and said, God, just show me who you are. I didn't tell anybody I prayed that prayer. I thought people would think I was nuts and losing it because I felt like I was falling apart. I realized that my life was a disaster. So all of a sudden, David Vassie steps up and he said, Russ, Thursday night after I dropped Lori off at her house, Lori was his perfect girlfriend. He said, I was driving home and I was thinking about my life. He said, Russ, of all the people you and I know, I should be the most content. He said, but I'm not content. I realized Thursday night that I had this big gaping hole in my life. Something was missing. He said, so I stopped and talked to Bill Walker, who was the pastor of Hopewell Baptist Church and also a customer of Vassie Sales and Service. They sold and serviced lawnmowers. And, and, and Bill Walker would go in to get his lawnmower service and share the gospel with all of them. They wouldn't go to church, but they listened, I guess. Because David Vassie said, I was driving by Pastor Walker's house, so I just pulled in and knocked on the door. He said, Russ, he... He told me the same thing you did when we were little. I said, what are you talking about? He said, remember we were little kids and, and, and you would come back from summer vacation and you would quote Bible verses? I'd forgotten about that. When I was little, my friends would go on vacation. I told you, he went to Six Flags over everywhere. My friends would go on vacation. All I did was play baseball and go to vacation Bible school. You know why I went to vacation Bible school? Because one day I told my mom, everybody goes on vacation. Because people would say, what are you going to do this summer? Oh, we're going camping. Oh, we're going uh, to Disney. Oh, we're going, you know. But we didn't have Disney back in those days. This predates fabulous Epcot. But here's the deal. Uh, everybody was going somewhere doing something exciting, not me. I played baseball, tried to survive. Tried to kill my brother. Get, try to get him to do things that I wanted to do but was afraid to, like jump out of the barn, stuff like that. But I also went to vacation Bible school. You know why I told my mom? I said, everybody goes on vacation. We never go on vacation. She said, baby, you, you want to go on vacation? I said, yes. So she sent me to Hopewell Baptist Church, Eastview Baptist Church, Mount Harmony Baptist Church, <laughs> Gum Springs Baptist Church. I, I spent my summer in vacation Bible school. And you know what? At vacation Bible school, they give you... They, they invented soft batch cookies because they leave those cookies out in the sun all day. And by the time you get them, if you're, you know what I'm talking about, they invented and, and they give you water that looks like Kool-Aid at, at, at uh, Vacation Bible School. But they also give you prizes. If you memorize Bible verses, they give you free stuff. And I don't know if you know this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Poor kids like free stuff. 
So they said he would give you prizes. So guess what? I sang Father Abraham and I knew all the songs and I learned Bible verses and they gave me prizes. One year I won the big prize. I got this Bible that had a picture of Jesus on and it was in full color. He was this tan white guy with amazing hair knocking on a little round door and it had a zipper and it zipped and unzipped. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever owned. I got it. I could not believe how exciting it was. I was so proud. I told everybody, but I never opened it. I put it with my baseball trophies. I told my brother, I said, did you see that? I won that at Vacation Bible School. If you touch that, I'm going to knock your head off. Don't even touch that. Don't touch that. And I never did. For 10 years, I, I, miss, I miss the joy of knowing Jesus this far. 10 years. I didn't even know. We go back from summer vacation. My buddy would talk about Six Flags Over Everywhere and camping at the lake. And you know what I would talk about? Baseball and Vacation Bible School. And I'd quote Bible verses. You know why? Because nobody else could quote Bible verses in my little group. It made me feel like I was the smartest one. So I'd quote Bible verses. Nobody had memorized anything during the summer except for song lyrics, right? So I, so I would quote Bible verses. My buddy's standing here. Ten years later, my buddy's standing on the steps at my house, and he said, you remember when we were little kids and you used to quote Bible verses? He said, Russ, the other night when I prayed and asked God to show me what was missing from my life, he said, I could see you standing there with that striped shirt and your burr haircut and those two front teeth missing, quoting John three sixteen. He said, do you remember that? He said, you know, God loved the world so much that he gave us his son. And if you believe in him, you wouldn't perish, but you'd have everlasting life. He said, Russ, it's true. And you're the first person that ever told me that. Hey, he said, I, I went to visit Bill Walker. He told me the same thing you did when we were little. He said, Russ, you're going to think I'm crazy because he knew how I was, right? He goes, you're going to think I'm nuts, but I don't care anymore. He said, Russ, Thursday night, I asked Jesus Christ to wash me clean and to be my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and trust in him. He said, I feel like 500,000 pounds has been lifted off me. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And, he, and I never saw him overexcited. He was too cool to drool. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> he said, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And you're really the first person that cared enough about me to tell me anything about Jesus. When he said that, it broke me. It bro I was like, are you kidding me? God used me to tell you about Jesus. I was freaking out, to be honest. He, and, and he said, I'm going to be baptized at church tomorrow. It would mean the world to me if you would come to church with me and watch me get baptized. Now, here's the thing about that. He didn't know I'd prayed and asked God to show me the truth. God could have sent anybody to my house, but he picked the best guy. And when he showed up at my house and told me that, and Gary Miller shared the gospel with me, it, it, something in me happened. I was like, oh, no, there's a God in heaven. He's been watching everything I do. This is terrifying. So I could not say no. I was like, I better go to church. This can't get worse. It's got to get better. So I went to church. Here's the funny thing. I didn't have anything to wear to church. I didn't think my Leonard Skinner t-shirt would be appropriate. <laughs> not at the Baptist church. No, sir. Right? So I borrowed a dress shirt from my papaw, who wore overalls. Don't ever borrow a dress shirt from your papaw. Just wear your T-shirt. I went to church. I sat on the second row. The preacher preached. David Vassie got baptized. All, everybody clapped and stood up when he got baptized. I was like, this is an exuberant crowd. These people are excited, right? I sat on the second row. The preacher shared the gospel that Sunday, and I heard it. He said, when God says something's wrong and you do it, he calls it sin. It doesn't matter what you call it. He said, when God says something's right and wants you to do it and you won't do it, he calls that sin. It doesn't matter what you call it. He said the wages of sin is death. What you earn from your mistakes, bad choices, your ignorance, your self-reliance. What you earn is separation from God. He said, and he said, God could have left you there, but he didn't. 
Because even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And to as many as receive him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. Even to those who believe on his name. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? He was preaching, man. He was like, uh, you know, he was like uh, uh, one of the, like, you know, the, what's that, Duck Dynasty. He was like, that meets Billy Graham. It was unbelievable. <laughs> you think my accent is bad. He was going, man. But, but the thing was, he preached the whole sermon like right here, right? And when I walked in the door, they handed me one of those bulletins. Remember I told you the Baptists are so sure what God's going to do on Sunday. They printed on Tuesday and handed it out the door. I had one of those and I was hiding behind it because I was in the second row. And by the way, at Hope Up Baptist Church, the second row is the front row because the front row was empty. All that's allowed in the front row is a clipboard for visitors, a box of Kleenex and a gigantic clock so the preacher can see it. I guess his eyesight was bad. He's just a big clock right there. The preacher, so he'd behave. We need to get your pastor one of those. big giant. Anyway judgment-free zone. Anyway, I was sitting on the second row. No one was in front of me, so the preacher kept, I thought he was looking at me. I was like, it must be bring a drug dealer Sunday at the Hope Hope Baptist Church. Why is he looking at me? Do you know what? Also, I couldn't help but notice how my buddy looked different. He just looked so different. It's like someone had turned the lights on in his life. It was just he just wasn't the same person. I could not deny the fact, other than he was a little damp, he was different. He was sitting there beside me, and he was grinning the whole time. I was like, man, this is crazy. The pastor shared the gospel. Then he said this. I was hiding behind the bulletin. Don't forget, I'm hiding behind the... I'm acting like I'm reading it, but I'm not. I'm just like, dear God, what's next? When will this be over? I was under such deep conviction, right? And it said, here's what it said. It said this. It, said, it had the sermon, had a little scripture verse about the sermon. And then it said this. It said, invitation... After, after the sermon. And then it said closing remarks. And so the pastor's preaching. I was under deep conviction. He said this in his sermon. He said, in just a minute, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and never experienced the freedom of knowing him, he said, Here's, I'm going to ask you to do the bravest thing you've ever done. In a minute, I'm going to invite you to stand. I didn't know he was going to invite everybody to stand. He just said, I'm going to invite you to stand right where you are. And I'm going to ask you to step out of God speaking to your heart and to meet me right down front. And I'll pray with you, and today can be a day of new beginnings. I didn't know the rules at the Baptist church. And so he, he said that, right? He walked around the podium and said that. And one minute, if you're here and you know you need Jesus, would you meet me down front? Do the bravest thing you've ever done. And then he went back like this, and then he said, and it, finally, he said that. Don't forget, the bulletin said closing remarks. Well, I panicked. I knew God had brought me to church. I knew I was supposed to be there. I felt like someone had me uh, 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 like plugged into electricity the whole service. I was just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And so when he said that, I knew he was talking to me. I knew it. God was speaking to my heart. And so when he said that, and then he walked back around, I looked down at my bulletin, it said closing remarks, and I thought, oh no, I missed it. And so I stood straight up. And I climbed over everybody. And the ushers ushed. The deacons freaked out, and I climbed over everybody. My buddy's like, what do you do? It's a bad time to go to the bathroom. What, what do you? And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I just, I didn't explain it to anybody. I was just kind of cumbersome. I was like, bump, I was just banging through people. And I got, and I, and I walked down, and I just stood right there, and he was, he was right here. He was trying to finish the sermon, and I was standing right there, and there was a guy in a yellow Arnie Palmer jacket with, talking to his wrist. He was over there, and the, the pastor said, I remember because I was standing there and I'm like, does he not see me? Like, how can he? And, and, and he, then he walked around the podium, he took a step like this. And he said, 
What are you doing down here, boy? <laughs> Did you understand that? What are you doing down here, boy? What are you doing down here, boy? That's what I heard. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I thought you have got. And so what I wanted to do, I was like, well, everybody knows my mom's mentally ill. Maybe if I just act like an orangutan and run out the back door, everybody'd be like, ah, it's finally, it's finally manifested. He's, somebody go keep him from running into the street. Go. I, I, my first thought was I should just go ah, ah, and take off running, right? But I, you know what happened though? I, I heard the voice of God. I heard, just like I'm talking to you, I promise I did. It was so soft and so beautiful and so caring. Here's what he said. Don't, don't go anywhere. Answer his question. Just tell him what you're doing down here. It's okay. It's okay. I want you down here. Don't, don't go. Just tell him. And so I said, uh, what am I doing down here? Well, do, do you remember a minute ago when you said that if you would like to, if you would like to know Jesus, that you should just come down here? And I was in a panic, don't forget. So I showed him my watch. I was like, well, it was a minute. It was, it was a minute. And so I just came down here. And he started laughing. He laughed. And then I recognized he wasn't laughing. As my good southern Tennessee mom would say, he was bawling and a squalling. He was crying. He wasn't laughing. He, st- he said, did you come down here because you want to get saved? And I said, yeah, yeah. You know what he did? He shut the whole service down and made 300 Baptists wait. He just shut them down. He walked down here. He did. He walked down to me and he said, he said, do you realize that you're a sinner? I said, yes, sir, I do. And a bunch of these people know I'm a sinner too. I've sinned with some of these people. I didn't know any better. If you're talking to the preacher, you need to tell the truth. I said, well, I, yeah, I'm a, yeah. And the, I know. They, these, I, like, I thought he might need a witness. You know what I mean? I'm like, I could, I could get somebody that can tell you, verify that I should be there. I, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, yes, sir. He said, do you realize that God loved you anyway? And I said, I do now. Now I know. He said, he, his, he said his arms are open wide. You don't have to change anything. You can just come to him and he'll rescue you if you let him. I said, I'll let him. You know what happened that day? I brought a garbage bag full of trash that was just me. I thought, man, if he wants this, he can have it. I don't want it. I brought it and I laid it at the feet of Jesus. You know what he did? He scraped all the ugly old me out of it. Scraped all the sin out of it. Then he breathed new life into it. It was a new me. And then he put it back on me. He said, here, Russ, try this on. This is what it's supposed to feel like to be you. I'd never felt anything like that in my life. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Listen, God didn't change my parents. I had drugs and weapons in my car in the visitor parking spot right by the front door of the church. <laughs> right there in the trunk. What God changed that day was me. I stopped seeing my parents as irresponsible losers. And instead I saw them the way that Jesus sees them as people who are hurting. People who, who are hurting and looking for answers. God changed me that day. I went home and cleaned up my brothers and my sister and I brought them to church and they got saved. And I started sharing the gospel with everybody because I didn't know any better. 
And I was so excited. I, I, I stood down front and the pastor said, I, I got saved and everyone applauded. And the pastor said, uh, I, he stood down there by me and, and he said, he said uh, be sure and, and uh, come by and, and greet our new brother in Christ after service, right? And then a deacon prayed and I was so excited. It was just like six flags for the kid the first time. I was overwhelmed. I was like, this is amazing. And so he, 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 I, he was my new best friend. So as a deacon prayed, I said, what do I do? He goes, just stay by me. But he meant stay right here. But he said, stay by me. And then he walked to the back door to open the doors and shake everybody's hand. So I followed him to the back. <laughs> and so I was standing beside, he laughed again. And he just moved, like, like here's the door. So he's just like, no, 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 you, you, okay, you can stay right here. People, this will be easier for people. They can greet you. And he, so he put me right there. And I didn't know what to do. I was just so excited. And people were walking out the door. And he was like, see you tonight. Because back in those days, they had training union at 6 and service at 7. And so he goes, so see you tonight. And then they would stick their hand out to shake my hand. And I would just say, see you tonight. Because I didn't know what else to do. And so the pastor was, got so tickled at me. And he said, so you're coming back tonight? I said, yes. What time? And at 5 o'clock, my car was in the parking lot. I, but between church and five o'clock, I took all those drugs that I had in my car and I dumped them in the Hiawassee River. So if you go down there fishing and you catch what you think is an octopus, but it's a catfish, it's my fault. I dumped all those drugs. Listen, over the course of the next few weeks, I put all that drug money. It wasn't a lot, it was about six grand that I had stashed away. I, I, over the next few weeks, I just put it in the offering plate. Just a little bit. Didn't put any, no, I didn't want any tax credit. I just, Casually, just a little roll of bills wrapped in one. I just throw it in the offering plate because I figured this, that money's been in circulation on the dark side long enough. We're going to put it to work in the church. And so I got rid of all that money. I went to my drug supplier and I said, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I got saved Sunday, man. This is the greatest thing. You should come to church with me. I said, the bad news is I dumped all your drugs in the river and I gave your money in the offering plate. And so if you want to kill me, fine. I know where I'm going. His name was Scott Kyle. I don't know if he ever got saved, but his mama did. Here's the thing. God changed my life that day. And you know why he changed my life? Because someone stepped outside the walls of the church and they came to visit me. Now, I'm positive I'm out of time. But here, <laughs> I'm always out of time. It took me so long to get here. And the pastor's very gracious to give me 90 minutes a day. It's so kind. Anyway, I, what is that? Is that my wrong? Okay, all right. But uh, th that, th th this is where Acts chapter 4 comes into play, right? This is where it comes into play. The, the, the generosity of the church, their commitment to faith. Uh, let me just give you a little. So we know about chapter 2. Chapter 3, uh, uh, Peter and John go into the temple. They heal a lame man. Do you remember this story? He had been lame for 40 years. He asked him for money. They say, we don't have any money. The Bible says they looked at him intently. Can you imagine what happened to him when they were hey, 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 easy. He'd been laying there. He was not allowed in the temple. He wasn't allowed in there. Peter looked at him and said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. No one ever said that to him. You know what he did? He took up his mat and walked. He went from being someone who was laid at the door and carried home every day. That was his whole life. Everyone thought he had Sanders. Parents had Sanders. Something had happened, and, 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 he, and he was unclean. Unclean. Not allowed in church. Unclean. All of a sudden, Peter says, I don't have anything except this. Jesus. And the Bible says that this man, and by the way, his legs were crooked. They were gnarled. It wasn't like he was laying there looking like he'd just gotten off a Peloton. It was not what was happening. This man's legs were gnarled. He had never used them. He had never used his legs. 
They look like you think they would. But the Bible says, and Luke gives us this impression that his legs just healed. They just straightened out and his muscles grew and his, everything looked normal. You know what happened? He went from not being able to move off of that mat to dancing like Michael Jackson. He's, ah! He walks into the temple with Peter and John. He follows them in. Remember the story? And Peter preaches. 5,000 people were added that day. He said, hey, I didn't do this. Don't make, don't make much of me. This is, I, this is the name of Jesus. This man was healed. He shared the gospel. People got saved. They put him in jail, him and John, because they didn't know what to do with him then they told him to quit preaching he said hey I can't do that but they were afraid because everyone had seen what God had done in the life of that man so Peter goes back to the church and tells them what happened you know what the church did they said let's pray that God gives us that boldness pray let's pray that God gives us the boldness that we need that should give us an insight into how we should respond to the message of the gospel God give us your eyes to see give us your courage God give us your wisdom Lord give us a tenacity that's spiritual instead of just coming to church and being consumers God give give us your spirit what they pray for the Bible says Acts chapter 4 verse 31 that they prayed in the place where they were was shaken They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they left speaking boldly about the things of Christ. That's what the Bible says. And great joy was among them. They're like, you know, I go to church. Everybody's kind of, I don't know. Is it worth my time? They prayed together. They believed God. They were one heart, one mission, right? And great joy. It filled all their hearts. They were all, they had this unity of purpose. And then something amazing happens. This is the mark of a true believer. They brought everything they owned and gave it to the apostles. I'm not, I tell you to sell your Tesla. I'm, just listen. They brought everything they owned, gave it to the, gave it to the disciples and said, hey, let's use this for the sake of the ministry. We know what God's calling us to do. We know what's in our heart to help those that have nothing. We know what the Bible says and what Jesus taught us. We know what we're supposed to be doing, what you've been teaching us. We know what we're supposed to do. Maybe this will help us do it. What happened was the early church, when they were filled with the Spirit, listen to me, they became extremely others-focused. They became unbelievably unselfish. They became overly generous because their hearts had been changed and their priorities had been changed. There was a total paradigm shift in their lives. They were no longer who they used to be. They were a new creation. And and the Bible doesn't say, and many days later, several of them were sad about what they'd done. The Bible doesn't say that. If If it had happened, it would be in there, but it's not. The church grew and it exploded. And because of what happened there, listen, you and I are tied. Oh, we can look back behind us, the trail of our faith. It goes all the way back to that early church right there. It goes all the way back to Acts chapter 2. It goes all the way back to right there, the birth of the church. Why am I telling you all this? Because you guys have a heart for this city and you have to, you, you bloom where you're planted. You, you work where God places you. You give what you have. And God does the rest. He multiplies it and sanctifies it and anoints it. Do you understand what I mean? He takes it and he puts his hand on it. That's what anointing is. He sets it apart for his good purpose. God sets his hand on it and says, I'm going to use this for something so extraordinary. This $5 is going to do way more than buy you a a quarter of a latte at Starbucks. (laughs) This is going to revolutionize someone's life. You and I get to invest in what God is doing. Isn't it extraordinary? The world has lost its mind. I mean, you talk about it's unraveling. Is it not? It's 
Unbelievable. It's unraveling. And all of a sudden, we're just like, we're, we're, holding, the, we're holding the line. We're holding the line. We got our finger in the dike. We're holding the line. Seems like just in the last few years. And everybody's gone crazy. And if it's, we're not careful, we politicize everything that's happened in the world. And we see anyone who disagrees with us or acts differently than us, we see them as the enemy. God sees them as lost. He sees them as hurting. He realizes that all those people at the Mariners game or the Seahawks game, they're looking for community. They're looking for something. They're looking, a win. They, if they could just get, but look, no, no, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? They're, they're, they're there because they need to identify the group of people. What you and I have, they don't have. Well, but maybe you might have $56 ball caps. I don't know if you have that. But what, they, what we have, they cannot offer. They can't offer. But this is transformational. This literally changes someone's life forever the way that it changed mine. If you had told me when I was a 17-year-old kid selling drugs out of the trunk of my car that I was going to be standing on the platform of this tremendous church that is so vibrant and full of the life of Christ and has such spiritual leadership that are so focused on others in the community and teaching you, leading you in great worship. If you had told me that I'd have the opportunity to stand here and slosh around in the big shoes of your pastor up here on this platform, I would have been like, no way. There is no way. But I got saved. And the next Sunday, I was standing in the choir loft wearing a red satin dress. They called it a choir robe. <laughs> but I could tell it was a dress because it was like a red satin muumuu. It zipped really nice. And they hid the zipper. They hid the zipper. And then it was gathered. And it had accoutrements. It had like a nice little collar piece. It was like... A brooch, that's all that was missing. But you know what happened? I, here I am, a teenage kid. I'm standing in the choir loft singing Victory in Jesus, crying my eyeballs out because my life had been changed. I was so happy. I was so excited. I, I didn't care. And listen, three months later, I flew to Dallas, Texas and got on a tour bus and started singing about Jesus. I didn't even know I could. I, some guy said, you should, you should sing professionally. And I'm like, that's funny. You're so funny. No, I'm probably going to work at the paper mill like everybody else. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I think God's got something for you. Gary Miller invested in me. He, this guy at the church, he invested in me. And listen, that, that, that's, here's the thing I want to say to you. And I, when do I need to be done? Six minutes ago. Okay. Here's the thing I need to say to you. When we go all in, it's going to cost you something. But what you get in return is going to be, can you imagine just you, you flourishing spiritually and not just being excited about Jesus and drinking at the fountain that never runs dry. But can you imagine if you could actually let some of that Jesus in you leak out on other people? So they leak out on other people so they could experience it. Because if you taste and see that the Lord is good, oh my goodness. Taste and see for yourself. Try it for yourself. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come you to the water. You that have no money, come and buy and eat. Why do you spend your money on things that don't satisfy you? That Old Testament Bible verse is, is an early... Christological reference. It's a, it's a reference to Jesus. What God has for you is so much better than anything else. Don't spend your money looking for happiness anywhere else. Taste this bread of life. It's living water. Jesus calls himself. Taste this and see how good it is. All I'm saying for you today, maybe you're here and you love the Lord. You're like me. You realize what you've been rescued from. You can't believe you get to serve Jesus. You, you, you're amazed he lets you do anything. And you're just excited about whatever the next thing is and you live your whole life like this spiritually. Just, I'm not hope. nope, whatever. 
Anything I have is yours, Lord. You just show me what to do. I'm going to do it. That's the best way to live. Or maybe you're here today and you've been on the outside looking in. You're like me sitting on the second row. You're like, this is real and it's really good. And these, I've seen it. I've seen it. And I need more of this. I need this. Whatever this is, I need it. Well, today you, you can experience this for yourself. You can, you, you can know this Jesus. And you can know his purpose for, for your life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord. You know, maybe you know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means everything. Commit everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Man, do we get in trouble trying to understand what's going on around us, right? It's okay to be aware. But don't, don't draw your own conclusions if they don't line up with this. Lay everything that you think... Lay your opinions over this. If it doesn't match up, your opinions are wrong. You need to change your opinion. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. I found that to be true. You know, if I said, what's your life's verse? It's a little thing we did back in the day. So you'd be like, I like the whole Bible. Look at you. We're going to give you a star. I, this, the, every once in a while, there's a verse like Psalm 34, verse 6. I say, like, man, that is my story. It's a reminder. It's a memorial. It's, it's a place I go. It's a monument to what God's done in my life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is literally the story of my, my wife, Mary. and my, it's, it's a story of our life. Three months after I got saved, I was on a tour bus. I was with a bunch of mature Christians. They discipled me. Some of it I had to figure out on my own. I listened to thousands of hours of preachers and asked a bunch of questions and annoyed everyone. And then in the middle of that somewhere, while I was serving the Lord and seeking after Him, I was standing in line at a hotel in Vancouver, and this really cute girl turned around and smiled at a guy behind me in line. And I fell in love immediately. And now 38 years later... We're mar- we've been married, I'll, and we've got three kids and four beautiful grand. If you had told me God was going to do that for me when I was out there going, God, if you want this bag of garbage, you can have it. I never would have believed it. And i got good news for you today. God doesn't love me or Billy Graham more than he loves you. And so just know this. God is a God who's holy and just, and sin will, will listen, he will judge sin accordingly. It's right for God to judge sin, but he, the same God who holds us to such a high level morally and spiritually, not only tells us what's right, but then he provides a way for it to be applied to our lives through the person and work of Jesus. The Bible says, to as many as receive him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's just one door, his name's Jesus. So my question for some of you today is this. What in the world are you going to do about Jesus? You cannot ignore him and change who he is or make him go away. Some of you are like, well, I'm, you know, I don't mind church, but I don't know about this surrender Jesus thing. Listen, you can't keep up with your wallet and your car keys. What in the world makes you think you can run your life? You can't do that. You can't, you break your cell phone. You can't, or if you can find it. You, the reality is we're all just broken and here's God in the midst of our brokenness just offering us hope and healing and an answer. 
And so my prayer for you today is that you'll open your heart up to who Jesus is. I want you to take that sheet. Did everybody get one of those little sheets? I want you to take it home and really read those two stories in light of what we've talked about today. The story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It's such a beautiful story of the church, Jesus, in the midst of people who were unclean. But also, also Acts chapter 4. Read those verses, Acts chapter 2. Three and four, and then the beginning of five. Look at the birth of the early church and how excited they were and how they moved. And then pray over your church and over your own heart and ask God to give you that same passion and to order your steps and direct your steps. You guys are doing so much great stuff. My wife and I love this church. We'd go here if the commute wouldn't kill us. We would go here. We live in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a bit of a drive. But the reality is God's doing such great stuff. And if you're, if you're a part of this church, you need to thank God that, that he's allowed you to be here where he's living and alive and active and reaching and working. And you know where the light, the light shines bright where there's a great need. You're in a community that has a great need. You've got a great opportunity to be a city on a hill. That's who you are. So thank the Lord that you get to be a part of that. But don't sit back and watch it happen. Ask God what, what your part is in all that. What does he want you to do? I'm, I'm going to close with this. Who knows? Is the second service already? Are people being seated? I'm sorry. I, I, go, I, I don't have no. But I'll close with this. Isn't it interesting, right? In John chapter 4, Jesus meets that woman at the well. And it wasn't like where she was physically, but it was her, her state of being that he was so interested in. And the great physician diagnosed her situation perfectly. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. How do you know that? You must be a prophet, she said. He, he, was not a, he was more than a prophet, not just a prophet. She didn't know the disease that she had. She was talking to the cure. She was talking to the cure. He was right there. The power that spoke, the word of God that became flesh, the one who spoke the worlds into order was sitting right beside her asking her for a drink of water. You and I have no idea what God is doing around you already and what we're stepping into when we just go, you know what, Lord, yeah. I just want to be a part of it. So here's my prayer for you. If you don't know Christ, I pray that before you leave this place today, you'll do the smartest thing you've ever done, the right thing. You'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There'll be counselors down front, people to talk to you. I'll be down here. And maybe you're here and there's someone that you know that needs the truth of the gospel. Ask God how you can begin to live that in front of them and how, he, how you can minister. And ask God to help you know what to say and what to do. And how to demonstrate the reality of, of transformation and God's power in your life for them. Ask God to give you the strength to do that and to let your life be a testimony to them about what they need. Because people are searching and they're hungry. And you and I can point them in the right direction. Hey, thank you for letting me be here today. I'm so honored that God allowed me to do that. Let's, let, let's pray together. And then Pastor Matt is going to come. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for the truth of your word and the reality of how it speaks to our lives, God. Thank you that it's living and powerful and active and sharp and it penetrates to our very need and our very heart. God, I believe, God, that you're not only here, but I'm thankful, Lord, that you have the power to speak to us in a language we understand. You can speak to us and tell us what we need. 
And so, God, I pray that those that don't know you that are here today, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, God, and I pray that you would give them the strength to respond. God, I pray for those that are here and that are hurting. And God, who are stumbling, who need someone, to, who needs someone just to reach out and to minister life to them. God, I pray that they would come. Lord, whatever the need is, we know that you are the answer. We know, God, that in you and in your presence, there's fullness. So, God, I just pray that you would do the drawing and the wooing. And I pray for those that are here today, God, that love you, that understand my testimony would say a hearty amen. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Help us to be sensitive. And Lord, give us an awareness of what you want us to do where we are, whether it's at the grocery store or at Walgreens or wherever we are, Target, God, wherever we are. I pray that if someone needs to be encouraged, don't pick someone else, pick us. Show us, God, use us. Help us to be sensitive, Lord, to your spirit. Help us to walk in your spirit, God. Help us to be light. Lord, we want to be part of the transformation and the restoration and the redemption and the regeneration that is you. So God, help us to do that. Lord, we love you. What a blessing it is to be here in your presence, declaring your great and mighty works and your power. God, thank you for the testimonies of the hundreds in this room of your faithfulness. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Folks, I love that, by the way. Here's, here's what we're going to do. We are going to have some folks that my wife and, and Pastor Justin and AJ and, and Russ and our wives and, and others will be up here to pray with you. If you need prayer, will you please come forward? If you don't need prayer, will you please leave? Because and I'm not, he's like, hey, six more minutes, right? Here's the deal. That was awesome. The transition for our parking is going to go very rough. If, if you're saying, hey, if you need prayer, you come up. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you come up. And then and let's let these other folks be able to get in here. So we're so thankful for you all. May the Lord bless you.